0: Talk Radio. Good morning everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today I will be chatting with Daryl Poe about strengthening your memory after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion symptoms, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. You can find them online at mn functionalneurology.com Hello everyone, I am Amy Zalmer and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. For those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in January of 2014, and I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. I also recently released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. And also while you're at the website, be sure to check out the Brain Health Academy that I have co-created with Sue Wilson of CTE Hope. Today's guest is Daryl Poe. Daryl is a speech-language pathologist with more than 20 years experience. He has worked in a variety of settings, including acute and rehabilitation hospitals, university clinics, and outpatient offices. He has also taught on the undergraduate level, both on campus and also developed distance learning classes and communicative disorders. He he holds his MS in communicative disorders from UNC Chapel Hill and a BS in speech pathology and audiology from Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina. His specific research interests include evidence-based practice and interdisciplinary team building. His primary clinical interests are in treatments for Parkinson's disease and concussion. He holds certification in both LSVT and speak out. HealthSouth is one of the nation's largest providers of post-acute healthcare services, offering both facility-based and home-based post-acute services in 34 states and Puerto Rico through its network of inpatient rehabilitation hospitals, home health agencies, and hospice
1: agencies.
0: So Daryl, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here this morning.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: I am very excited to talk about strengthening the memory today because I know that is a huge problem um, for anyone who has gone through a traumatic brain injury. I know I still struggle with it three and a half years out so I'm really excited to have you here and I would love to have you share with our listeners how you kind of got into working with brain injury patients.
1: Well, um, I started perhaps about maybe a little over 10 years ago when I was doing some per diem work over at Binmar Rehab Hospital. Um, they have a separate floor for their TBI patients. And uh, again, I, I'm still there now, but I've gotten my initial sort of experience in that setting. Um, in addition, I'd also done some outpatient work as well. And uh, it started there, and uh, I've been working on it ever since. Yeah,
0: and it's got to be reward. I'm sure it's frustrating work because I think sometimes it's very slow improvement, but it has to be really rewarding work as well when you're helping people um, who are overcoming a brain injury.
1: Uh, it really is. It really is. I've seen so many. I've seen so much good progress both on the long-term acute care hospital setting and in the short-term rehab setting, which where we are.
0: So today we're talking about strengthening the memory. And, you know, as I, as I said earlier, I still struggle with my memory. Um, it's definitely improved um, over the last mm-hmm. three and a half years. But my first year after, my short-term memory was, like, non-existent. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't even explain. Lane the black hole, <laughs> like I would okay. pull up Google to you know try and look something up, and by the time Google loaded it. I'd be like, what the heck was I going to look for? And it was so frustrating, you know, and, and people say things to you like, Oh, I forget things like that too. I do that all the time. And it's like, no, 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 this is so different because it's like gone, you know, like we've all had those brain farts before our brain injury. And like, it's, it's a very different feeling because you'll eventually remember what it was where with brain injury, it's like gone, um, so, you know, I, I I'm really interested to hear what you have to say and how you work with some of your patients.
1: Okay. So, oh, I'll start. Um, uh, first yeah, of all, I have to say I've been start? Oh, um, first of all, I'll say I've been very lucky in that I've been able to work with really really dynamic groups of therapists, especially my occupational therapist friends. Um, I'll be very honest with you. When I started, I had literally a one-track mind with respect to working with individuals with TBI, which was sort of watch the behaviors and work on speech and language sorts of issues. But that changed about nine years ago when I worked with this one occupational therapist who was was actually a vision therapist as well. And she taught me a lot about how not so much to look at patients in that sort of really limited way, but to sort of look at the whole patient and not just to look at the speech and language, but to also look at the vision and look at the sensory sorts of things Mm -hmm. that patients bring to us. And ever since I've worked with her, my whole view of what I do, not just with my TBI patients, with all of my patients, has, has changed dramatically. So one of my philosophies is I can't work on someone's memory until I see where their vision is until I see where, what they're doing on a, sensory, on a sensory level. Once I'm able to get that, then I can pretty much use their skills to sort of help them with their memory. So I tend to start rather instead of starting at the speech and language part, I'll start at the vision part and the hearing part and maybe even the sensory part.
0: So, Daryl, I have a quick question question, um, sure. I have heard, and I don't remember the exact statistic, I'm going to kind of make up a number mm-hmm. here, but I've heard that, you know, so when people have a brain injury, oftentimes their vision mm-hmm. and vestibular systems impaired, and I know that was definitely yeah. my case, um, and I've yeah. heard that our memory is like 80% visual, so if your visual system's off, then off, then it only naturally makes sense that our memory would be off. Um, do you have any more you know, information on that that you would want to share? Have you, have you heard that as well?
1: I have not heard that stated specifically, but this is what I, this is what I tell all of my patients. I tell them, with all due respect, if you can't pay attention to it, you're not going to remember it. If you can't smell it, you can't remember it. If you can't see it, you can't remember it. If you can't mm-hmm. hear it, you can't remember it. So starting there, <laughs> that's where I start. I, and I never looked at vision before, but now I look at vision with all of my patients. And even the subtlest thing, the subtlest sort of um, inattention to one side will impact how folks are able to process things and will definitely impact Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and I know another thing that I was told when I did finally start doing rehabilitation. um, Mm -hmm. So I felt like I was a little bit like ADD, like I couldn't focus, I couldn't concentrate, I was all over the place, I couldn't multitask, you know, it was like, oh, squirrel. Um, And I was told that that was, you know, the the cognitive processing had been damaged, so to speak. And because the cognitive processing speed you know, like you might be still on that first or you might be on the third sentence of your paragraph, but I was still trying mm-hmm. to process the first sentence. So then I would, you know, naturally you just kind of lose interest, can't keep up with the conversation. And once somebody explained that to me, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, like it's not scary yes. and freaky once you understand the inner workings of what's going on. Um, and it sounds like that's kind of what you go over with your patients. Um and that helps make the journey a little less
1: frightening. <laughs> um, I can't tell you how many, pe- how many patients we've had on this level where I'll go into their rooms, they've had a, even a mild brain injury, and the room is totally dark. I'll never forget I had one patient. She couldn't get through physical therapy. She could barely get through speech therapy. She could, do, she could barely do anything. But every time I went to go see her in a room, her room was totally dark. Then she mentioned her frustration because she couldn't read. And then automatically, I thought, what would my friend Sharon O.P. say? And she'll always <laughs> look the eyes. I brought her to my office. I have all sorts of strange little lights around here. I put a light in the back of her, turned off all the lights, put some writing in front of her, and she'd be able to read. And she had not been able to read in that nor- in a normal light. She just couldn't do it. And from there, we realized, oh, wow, you have, you have really bad light sensitivity this is how your TBI has affected you. And that literally made all the difference in the world for her because all of a sudden she was able to participate in all of her other therapies because she realized exactly what was going on and what was limiting her. So that's why Mm -hmm. I I try to take a multi-sensory approach to all of my patients, especially those with TBI. Yeah.
0: And, you know, it is, it's a lot less scary when mm-hmm. you understand what's wrong with you. And, you know, the first 15 yeah. months, doctors didn't know what to do with me. I kept getting pushed off onto other doctors. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Unfortunately, okay. I know, right? And unfortunately, you know, it took me two and a half years to find a doctor who truly understood it. Um, but That's at fine. about 15 months, I phoned um, a cranial sacral therapist. And he explained yep. some yep. of this stuff to me. And yeah. I was like, Oh, I'm not imagining it because you know doctors sometimes make you feel like you're a little crazy. Um, and <laughs> you once are not you understand it, <laughs> once you understand it, it's like oh, like the anxiety lessens up a little bit, you know. And mm-hmm. and I have no doubt that's why we have so much anxiety after brain injuries because we just
1: yeah. don't understand
0: what's wrong with our hard drive, so to speak. <laughs>
1: Or a motherboard. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, and and I'm loving what you just said because again, a lot of our patients just don't understand. And what happens is, it's almost like all of our many of our professions were really comp- compartmentalized. And again, like I was before, speech. I only work about speech things. I know some OTs who only do OT things. But as we try, as we talk to each other, we sort of realize where we are. And that's one of the things we're really working on in my setting right now, making sure that everybody has an awareness of what everybody else does. And my yeah. philosophy is I don't care how crazy I look, how tired I look, how irritated I look. If you have a problem or you have a question, you stop me. Mm-hmm. I will make the time to try to understand what's going on. I've had patients that have that- come in. I'm sorry?
0: Oh, I was going to say, that is the sign of a wonderful therapist or doctor. <laughs> so ah. thank you. <laughs> no, well,
1: you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by people in this setting, and we all do that. And I love what you just said. There was a, uh, you, you, there was a, I cannot remember. Oh, her name is Lori Edwards. And she wrote, she wrote about individuals with chronic pain, and she talks about how difficult it is sometimes to find doctors and professionals who can appreciate and understand. Those sorts of things. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I've often heard. You know, I, I just had a physical therapist on my last podcast, and you know, mm-hmm. it, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, she she explained it really is a group approach. Like, you know, no two brains are the same. No two symptoms. No two recoveries are the same. And you really do need a like a group approach because you need PT, OT, speech. You know, you need all these different components because you don't just damage one little tiny part of your brain. You damage multiple parts, and they all work together, so to speak. So, um, you know, understanding that you might need more than just speech and and hearing you as a speech pathologist knowing, oh, okay, they're having trouble with their eyes. They need to look at their eyes first, you know, like – That's so profound, and that's why I do these podcasts because, you know, those little golden nuggets, like somebody's listening, and that might just all of a sudden make that little light bulb go off, like that's been the missing link. Um, So thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about some of the things you do to help people strengthen their memory?
1: Well, um, one of the first things I try to tell people is, okay, what this I always said I literally tell this, especially to my older folks, if you have more than five grandkids, I'm not going to worry about you remembering all of their names. <laughs> That's the first thing. Um, I'll tell them, I am not a baseball fan. I don't know who won the World Series last year. That's not important to me. Okay? So I want them to think about, okay, what's important for them to remember? because a lot of times i think they get overwhelmed thinking about forgetting everything mm-hmm. and i try to tell them i don't worry about everything right now let's figure out what's important first and then i like to say okay what sort of strategies do you already have in place because most of us think we don't we do have strategies i know for me i write stuff down i may lose my to do list but i remember better <laughs> when i write it down So that's me. I'll have people who bring in their own memory books, their day planners, their cell phones, their little sheets of paper. And my thing is, okay, then this is where we're going to start. We're going to start with this. This is your strategy. I can give you a strategy, but that's mine. I want you to tell me what yours is. And we build up from there.
0: You know, and I think you just, you know, you touched on an important thing about what's important to you to remember. And, you know, I think that was really a slow process for me was like, because I was used to being a multitasker and like mm-hmm. I could memorize my to-do list. I, I mean, I would have everything up inside my head. And mm-hmm. I think that that took a long time for me to understand, okay, focus on one thing today what is it that I need to remember you know is it going to the grocery store is it you know what is it that I need to remember and like I had a whiteboard so that I could change it every day um you know it's very prominent and visual because if you don't see Mm -hmm. it you forget and you know so Having, like, a visual tool, you know, is really Mm -hmm. helpful. And like you just said, just focusing on one thing. (laughs) Yes.
1: I've told patients, go out and find this big, ugly, fluorescent-looking serving bowl. Put that on your living room table. That's where your keys go. That's where your cell phone Mm -hmm. goes. That's Mm -hmm. where all of that goes. Something big and obvious.
0: Yes. Yes, that was a huge coping skill for me. Like, my purse goes on this hook, my keys go on this hook, my coat goes on mm-hmm. this hook. And mm-hmm. if my keys were accidentally left in my pocket and I didn't put them back up on that hook, I might spend two hours tearing at my house looking for them only to realize they were in my pocket. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, like, so frustrating. Um, I- I can't yeah, those simple coping skills are so 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 helpful and having a routine too i found having you know like a very specific routine especially in the morning because for me it took Mm -hmm. me a while to wake up every morning you know like that kind of groggy thing going on um and so having a routine yeah
1: Yeah, yes i've often told patients especially when they're preparing to go home and it's like i try to tell them look i can write whatever you need for me to write to sort of help you decide when it's, it's best for you to go back to work, for example. My thing is I may have a, I may have a date in my head, but I try to make sure I let my patients sort of figure out when they think they're able to go back. Um, because I want them, again, to get into that routine before they go back, to try to put those strategies in place before they go back. I want them to be able to sort of make sure they have all of the outpatient services that they need. I want, I want them to know that they're – I want them to actually be going to them and doing all those things before they go back to work. And I try to mm-hmm. let them know that it's important to, important to sort of plan your schedule months before you go back to work.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it sounds like you're setting them up for success and that's, you know, that's so important because, you know, oftentimes I felt like I was just constantly failing, you know, like I said, especially mm-hmm. those first 15 months, it was like, ugh, you know, like I, I talk about how, so I I was a photographer, I was self-employed running my own business and oh, I gosh. would wake up in the morning and look at my calendar and be like, okay, I have a session at eleven, and then I have to leave from a doctor's appointment at one. But then I'd have mm-hmm. to have alerts in my phone, like yeah. thirty, fifteen, ten, and five minutes, because literally that alert would go off. Oh, I have a session in a half hour. That's right, fifteen minutes. Oh gosh, I better get ready for my session. You know, five minutes. Oh, I better get out of my pajamas. You know, like mm-hmm. it's like there's like this total lack of. Like you lose like a sense of time and I, I, I don't know how else to explain that.
1: You lose a sense of time and you lose a sense of organization. But what I again one another thing I would really like to tell patients is that a lot of times we really think we have all of these things in our head all of the time. I don't think that we do. We we have little things that we have to sort of cue us all along. Um I have, I have a huge watch I wear, a huge square watch. And when I have patients who are worried about time and not being able to keep, keep time, up I always tell them, I'm a certain age, but I have this, I've had this big square watch that I can see from across the room. I've had this for 10 years. I don't know what I'll do if I ever lose this watch. But it's okay to have these things. It's okay to use these things. In fact, you're using these cues every day. You just don't realize it with the TBI. You, know, you we want you to realize it.
0: And and I think too, it's important for like caregivers and and just friends mm-hmm. and family to understand too that like this lack of time awareness. Um, mm-hmm. that's why we're always late for things. It's why, you know, we have every intention of being ready on time, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I have to leave at 11. It's 10 o'clock now. I have plenty of time to get my clothes on and get my hair done and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like eleven <laughs> ten. It's like, where did, how did that happen? You know? And I know it's really yeah. frustrating for friends and caregivers because it's like, oh my God, how come you can't get yourself ready on time? And, you know, they just, they don't understand. Because, I mean, if you haven't been through it, you just can't understand it. And, like, it's literally like the time goes poof. <laughs>
1: and, and and that's one of the things. I was just at a class a couple of weeks ago. And, again, with respect to this setting, but I think it really, really pertains to every setting. It's like one of the first things we always need to do is we need to make sure that we're educating family and patients at the same time and separately very early on to let them know that these are the things that you should expect. Um, Again, I always use this, I I like anecdotes, so I always use this one. Uh, Let's say, for example, I have a male patient, and I'll say, well, this is how you have to think about memory sometimes. Your wife sends you to the grocery store. If it's three items, she'll expect you to remember them. If it's more than three items, she'll write you a list, and that's okay.
0: Mhm. I don't know if I could have remembered three items.
1: <laughs> but, then, but that's okay too, because again, and again, and I tell my patients this: right now, you're literally a different person than you were before your yeah. injury, and you have to make decisions and choices. And there's some things that you have to do right now to help you get from point A to point B. And if it means writing everything down, write everything down. Mm -hmm. And get into that habit. And as you go through services, if if you require them, you can adjust that. But right now, let's do what we need for you to do to help you get from point A to point B.
0: And I think it's important to focus on and this is kind of what you're saying, but to focus mm-hmm. on the baby steps. And you're not yes. going to go from point A to B right away. You might go right X and C and Q before you get to B. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay, hey, you know. And, that's um, and yeah, it, but it's frustrating, but you need to just it understand is. it's okay, you know.
1: And it's, it's one thing that we've seen in this facility multiple times, we've had individuals who are going home with a concussion or what they think is a concussion with no services. And yes. they find that they aren't able to do all of the things they were able to do, and they get even more frustrated. And, that, and that's when depression starts to hit, kick in and anxiety yeah. and those sorts of things. and. I, again, we literally get a couple of months and we have to tell our patients, this is what happened. This is the result of what happened. Okay? It's okay. Let's yeah. work our way and back And that was up.
0: definitely me. You know, I was told I had a severe concussion. I should feel better in four mm-hmm. to six weeks. And here I am three <laughs> and a half years later. Um, <laughs> okay. But I had no services for like yeah. over a year and a half.
1: And, and, that, and it that, happens and all the time. All the time. And, and <laughs> it's not just services. It's having the right services and sending you mm-hmm. to the right person. Um, right now, um, there's a, we, this, one of the hardest things to find is a neuro-ophthalmologist. Yes. We have a local guy. It literally takes six months to get into him.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And people, they again, as we mentioned earlier, we don't realize just how important those visual things are with respect to processing and memory and things of that nature. And to think that it takes six months to find somebody who can understand that—it's—I it, it's, I, don't—I never know what to yep. say, but I always try to make sure we know who he is, we get you in with us, and we get you in with him or her. Yeah.
0: And and we're very similar here. I think we have like three in the entire state. So yeah, it's crazy. Um, it is, isn't it? It's such a specialized field. It's it's nuts. Um, but, but Daryl, so, we're down yeah. to the final couple minutes. Is there anything oh, okay. you didn't touch on that you wanted to make sure our listeners heard?
1: Um, one of the biggest things is um, when if you go to therapy, um, therapists will never ask you to do anything they don't think you can do. And therapists will ask you to do some things which you may not think relates to what your diagnosis is. Right. Um, I love mazes. I love mazes. But what I have found is if my patients aren't able to do a maze, they tend to have difficulties in all the other areas. So we'll always focus on mazes first. It looks silly, but it means something. Uh Once we're able to do that effectively, All of a sudden, everything else tends to go in place.
0: So there's there's a method to your madness is what you're saying.
1: There is a method (laughs) to our madness.
0: (laughs) Well, Daryl, thank you so much for being here. I think this is so helpful um, for our listeners. And, you know, this is just such great information. Great information. And thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, It's so good to know that there's therapists out there that, you know, people are in good hands. So thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for your time. My philosophy, we're all here to serve.
0: Well, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope that you got some golden nuggets today from Daryl. And, again, be sure to visit FacesofTBI.com to hear any of our previous podcasts. And, again, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And one last thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the Concussion Doctors of trust for Comprehensive Brain Health in Minnesota. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Thank you, everyone, for being here, and thank you for being a part of my journey. I will see you all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.